Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodrigue, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Jordan, it's draft week. Oh. In case you didn't know, I'm pretty sure you knew, though. I'm being flooded and buried alive by content. Yes. All the, co- all the content it's all content happening this week. I saw something this morning uh, as we record Monday morning. I think it was ESPN saying like, we have 80 plus hours of draft coverage. And I'm like, is that a brag or is that like, are, are you embarrassed by that? <laughs> no offense to our friends at ESPN, but I'm like 80 hours. <laughs> like, Seven, uh, 75% of teams in this draft do not have a first round pick. The top 15 is a toss up and more teams than ever are trying to trade back out of the first round right. or into the later first round. <laughs> But yeah, tell us that this still is super, super, you know, definitely something to be excited about. I think that the other thing, and it sucks because I'm so excited for these kids. And it's not these kids' fault that the league has taken sort of the shift that it's taken. And it's also not their fault that they are sort of just quantified into content. Um, And so that sucks because for a lot of them, it's just like the biggest moment of their entire lives. And I love those moments. I can't wait to see those specifically. Um, But as we've seen in the past, like sometimes it's gotten way carried away. Um, So hopefully, fingers crossed for a good good sequencing of content uh, this this time around. What is it, like a three-hour show for the first round on Thursday night or something like that? And then you get another couple hours on Friday and then... Oh, my goodness. I mean, the the big stuff. Look, I mean, if you're really like, or, I mean, we're kind of joking around here, but like if you're a draft nerd, like if you're really into this stuff, and, and I know I was when, when I was on the beat, um, it's those mid rounds anyway, where you're really looking like, okay, who's there in the third round? You know, who can we grab? So uh, the first round was always kind of a show, you know, it was more of a TV thing. Like if you're really into the football side of it and really want to get into the nitty gritty, it's those second and third days that uh, that always held the most interest for me. And the first round was kind of like, oh my goodness, can we please, can we please move this along? Yeah, but <laughs> you were you're covering the Rams like the entire time. So yeah, like, the, the yeah. thing the thing that I f- have found so interesting is like when I covered Carolina, they were picking in the top twelve, top fifteen every single year, and they even had a top ten when they picked Christian McCaffrey. Right, and it was like the most you spend a insane amount of resources just on the outside as a journalist digging into what they're going to do at that single pick. And then you kind of, it's, it's almost impossible. It's of course, another reason why these staffs are so large of people um, on, on these football teams that are so large. And because there's a whole other handful of picks to also put that much time and energy in. And it is really interesting to me. You almost like live the, 
the reframing of the resources or you, you like right. me coming over to this beat, I quite literally have lived in real time the switch from the level of investment in the first round, the second round, mm-hmm. and totally reallocated all of those mental resources into the middle of the draft. And I just find that fascinating because I'm like, okay, now what really is my brain doing during this time? Because that can sort of put you in the shoes of the people who have literally overhauled their entire draft model um, accordingly, which is, is really interesting to me. Yeah, it is. You're right. I, I didn't. The the one time I did cover a Rams first round pick, it was number one. Uh, so that was over <laughs> that pretty over early. Got that over with. And I don't even remember watching the rest of it. We were following Jared around some the catacombs of some uh, of some theater in Chicago, uh, trying to trying to figure out where he was. But uh, but yeah, it's it is it is a again, if you're if you're a football nerd, it's it's a great week to dive into all of this stuff. Uh, so we're going to get into some of that. We're going to get into mock draft. We're going to get into maybe some positional fits, maybe who you might look at in some of these mid-round picks that we're talking about, Jordan. I know we also want to talk briefly about contract situations. That's been a little bit of a talker of late. When are things going to happen? How are they going to happen? I know you've got a little insight into that, but uh, Jordan, the Rams have once again, outdone themselves. What can you do after holding your draft at a beach house in Malibu last year? Well, what do you get? You get a house in the Hollywood Hills. You completely renovate it. You have, well, I'll let you tell the story of what they're doing with uh, with the commissioner and, and the artwork this year. But uh, Jordan, this is going to be another thing to behold, right? And hopefully it all goes well this year. Nobody, you know, comes down with, with COVID and has to miss it. Um, so that the, the plan is to, to have this be a whole uh, experience there at the draft house, right? right? Let me paint a picture for you, Rich. Yes. The year is 2032. Mm-hmm. The Rams' first draft pick is in the fourth round. Yes. They still they still have not had a first round pick since 2016. Right. The Rams have unveiled their new location yes. for their draft house 2032. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's on the moon. I was going to say that. You you <laughs> scooped me. <laughs> yes. I mean, what like how do you keep topping it? That's there I don't know. When I, when I talk to people who work for the team, I just, I always say, they always are kind of almost like sheepish, right? It's almost like, yeah, like, you know, it's kind of like the the team that is a big deal, but you're not trying to like show that you're a big deal, but there's this great marketing opportunity and you have to take it. And then you're like, if we're going to take this marketing opportunity, might just, might as well just like, full send it right like just go sure, for it sure and and it, there's always kind of that sheepishness like oh my gosh you know like what are we doing <laughs> and and for me i'm kind of like you know what i i love the the extraness like I, I think that it's there has to be some pull the focus has to pull back to the team because again these teams these teams are are massive ecosystems not just on the roster side but on the business side and on the marketing side and on the branding side they're massive massive ecosystems yeah. and the the one of the you know if you're looking at this through every single department that isn't the football operations department you're looking at the draft as an opportunity to create content and to monetize your brand and to expand the reach of your brand and when you don't have a first or second round pick usually the biggest splash does come 
on with those first round picks because you also have the machine of the entire NFL network and draft, the, the entire machine of what the league is behind you helping promote your first round pick, right? And so when you don't have that, what do you what do you do? And it's so interesting to me that this is how they sort of snap attention back toward them um, in a very unique way. Um, it, of course, is ridiculous, right. <laughs> but right. but it's also ridiculous. And it's not, you know, it's not hurting anybody. So I'm like, whatever. It's it, And it, it's fun because I'm self, I selfishly appreciate it because last year obviously was different because they had a little minor COVID outbreak um, right yeah. before. So we didn't get to actually be present in the war room area um, mm-hmm. of the draft at that Malibu mansion. Um, but this year we will be able to be present. Um, yes. yes, we will be sec- sectioned off uh, into a different space from where the actual war rooms are. Um, but at the same time, you're in proximity to where these things are actually happening. And that's something that um, I actually have not been able to experience with this group yet because uh, of the pandemic and all of the restrictions over the last two off seasons. And I'm very excited about this because you know, you go out on the lawn and someone's on their phone, you know, with a college free agent, you know, it's just things like this where you're in proximity to where things happen as a beat writer that makes it so much more exciting um, to capture what it really is like in the moment um, and really excited and currently and continually digging into some behind the scenes stuff um, for you guys that I think you'll be really, really excited about. And I think that it's going to be interesting. Their process is always fascinating even if you don't quite know how the class turns out and you raise eyebrows over some of the picks, the process behind all of it is is super, super fascinating as someone without sort of a dog in this fight of whether their class is successful or not. I love getting really into some of the details of the why. And I think you you have a percentage point or a couple percentage points more of an opportunity to do that. Also, uh, the view won't be terrible. Um, the, yes. the, lo- the location, the desk, the desk and chair will probably be pretty, pretty comfortable. Wow. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pass by the Roger Goodell artwork that was formerly an oil painting last <laughs> year that sort of broke the internet. This year it's an NFT. <laughs> I still am not exactly sure what that is. So someone will have to explain that to me, but, yeah. um, yes, it's, it's, there's, there's also a lot of local, uh, actual artwork from right. LA-based artists. There's a skate ramp. Uh, there's a pool. I'm trying to debate whether I'm going to file my column from the skate ramp or from poolside. You know, it, these mm. are really, really difficult problems, Rich. I think yeah. like no nobody has a, a harder draft to cover than I do personally. Boy, yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope the Wi-Fi makes it all the way to the pool. That would be tragic. <laughs> I heard did not. A, yeah. a little birdie told me that it does, actually. Oh, good. So, well, yeah. there you go. Because, because they weren't sure maybe someone maybe Sean one of the coaches they have to take a call out by the pool or they yes. have to send a you know send a, an email or a file or something and and so they had to make very right. sure that it extended into all of the far reaching corners of this massive Hollywood Hills mansion that they've rented out right and i mean it would be terrible if that ended up on the on the tv coverage i mean i certainly don't want that to happen i, I can't imagine there there would be anything set up for the for the for the beach area or anything very scenic <laughs> The, the 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 ongoing war. Wait, what? Anybody know what Cliff Kingsbury is? He like does he have his own strategy? Like is he is he uh, trying to one up the Rams? I don't think you can. Like what's left? Like you got to go to like what's next year? You got to go let's see Hawaii next year. Um, 
then like Cabo San Lucas, uh, 2024. And then like, I don't know, you got to go to like Tuscany or something after that. Like that, like there's just no, you have to keep building on it every year. I, I don't even know where, I guess the end is the moon. That's it. Yeah. Cliff Kingsbury strikes me as the type of guy who would try to do this like from that car that tesla that elon musk sent into space like yeah he would do it from within from within that vehicle um he strikes me as sort of the yeah the type of person to uh to uh have that sort of be his his brainchild if uh you know take that for what you will but he does strike me as the the uh the uh draft from inside a Tesla floating through space kind of guy. He does. He does. He does. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. And the, the content that's already been out there has, has been very, very entertaining. And uh, I have a feeling there's probably more to come uh, with a great scene at uh, in, in the Hollywood Hills. There is the Rams draft. But Jordan, that's going to be a lot of fun. So looking forward. Make sure you post a lot of pictures on Twitter. Make everybody oh, jealous. Oh, I will. I yeah, will. And yeah. I'm, I'm pretty bad at that. Like, I'm, I'm pretty much like I show up somewhere and I just want to get to work. So I will actively yeah. remind myself yes. to, to take in, like to set the scene for... Yeah. For everybody, and um, I'm excited to do that. I know we we are sarcastic and snarky and everything, but it's like we always say, it's a get to, not a have to. And oh so, my gosh, um, yeah, pretty pretty stoked about this. I think. Um, and again, like I'm always really interested in how these things come about, and and um, the Rams, you know, also have a couple more exciting things up their sleeve this week in terms of the content. And so I think mm. that um, this will be this will be a pretty fun week for Rams fans, even though you guys will be waiting until pick 104. Uh, to, to actually see the fireworks happen. Yes. Well, good entertainment. And we're going to get into all that in a second. But uh, Jordan, before we do, um, worth noting, I guess at the very least, that since we last talked to everybody, that uh, the first phase of OTAs has started. So welcome. Welcome, Jordan, to the 2022 season uh, already. Um, not a whole lot there for people who maybe don't follow the the ebbs and flows of these things. Yeah, phase one of OTAs, really just a lot of off-field uh, work. You see some of the the media that the Rams have put out there. It's a lot of guys in the weight room and that sort of thing. So uh, they they do. It's kind of like a step ladder. It's it's by design on uh, from the uh, NFL where uh, stage one, stage two, where you just gradually build more and more. You're able to get on the field. You're able to get on the field with your position group. You're able to do get on the field and do quote unquote football activities is I think the way that they phrase it. Um, so over the course of the next uh, I guess about the month or, or so here, you'll you'll be seeing more and more activity. And um, Jordan, so not a whole lot to report there, right? I mean, we're, we're not learning a whole lot about this defense or anybody coming in. But, you know, one thing that I think people are interested in, and I know you get a lot of questions about it, are these kind of reworked contracts that we're still waiting to hear about, whether it's uh, Cooper Cup or Aaron Donald. Um, any new insight on that or anything that people should know here as, as we get closer to the, to the summer months? Yeah, the fact that it is the same news uh, shouldn't should be also, I think, a positive sign <laughs> for people. Um, personally, I can't just keep copy and pasting and rewriting the same thing over and over again. My editor would probably fire me if that were the case. Um, so I, it's it's just a reiteration of of what we know, um, and that is that the Rams are 
very, very optimistic, publicly so, uh, forcefully publicly so, um, that the deals for for Aaron Donald and and also C- Cooper Cup will get done, and that it won't be a situation where it's eighteen months in a holdout, especially for Aaron. Um, I think you can already assume that they aren't assessing any sort of worry about a holdout from either player, and Cooper Cup is present for voluntary OTAs, which is also sort of his unspoken statement that there's not going to be a holdout situation um, as this contract stuff uh, starts to really pick up speed. And one thing that I just want to remind people of is, you know, yes, you know, Tony Pastores was talking to us at league meetings and was was saying that, no, he, he or excuse me, yes, this is a much better feeling that he has this time around on Aaron's deal than he had the first time, um, is not expecting it to, get anywhere near the type of situation that it was last time in terms of the time frame. I don't think that this is something to worry about. And I see sometimes tweets and comments like, you know, kind of kind of concerned that it hasn't hasn't happened yet. And, you know, again, just wanted to reiterate, like, first of all, these these types of things, especially in the Rams timeline, if you look historically, they do not happen before the draft. Um, they also, you know, tend to happen as they happen on a sort of easy timeline, a, a non-compounded, non-rush timeline, um, May, June, July, those types of things. You know, essentially, when guys are in town, hey, when are you in town? Come sign officially your your extension. We're not going to fax it. This is a big deal. Um, just things like that. And, and it doesn't mean that negotiations aren't ongoing. I mean, obviously, there are small points of detail that especially I think when when you were with Aaron's deal and I would say that they're a lot farther along in Aaron's deal than they are with Cooper's I think that you want there's there's a ton of different types of variables that then go into the negotiation process you also do have the general framework set like you're not going to sit there and say come come at the agent with like a number that's completely outlandishly different than what you guys have already been discussing. Like these things, the framework of these things is established. There's just a lot of more points of negotiation that you undergo through this time. And then you also are also on the player's timeline as well. Like, you know, you're not going to sit there and, and rush a player to make a, deci- a decision about certain variables. Um, the agent is, it's not going to be the only player the agent is working with. There are other things an agent will be doing during this time. And so everything has its own schedule. Um, I would also say that, you know, with with the Cooper deal, the the slight news that he did make, which I don't, again, I don't think was news. I had reported this a while ago that there was no, um, there was no sense from the team that Cooper's out here trying to be the the top paid receiver in the league. Now, again, if he wanted to be, fine. I am pro t- players getting paid, but at the same time, there was never a sense from the team that he was going to come out swinging in that regard, and and they certainly weren't opening conversations like that either. And so I think, you know, he, he, so then he comes out last, last week as OTAs began and, and he says it publicly. I mean, that's his, his statement that he's made is he's not trying to compete with anybody or, or, um, beat anybody in terms of financial, but he does want something that's fair for both sides. And I think when you hear the word fair, you think that the fans general instinct is to think team friendly. Well, that's actually not the case. Fair means fair for the team. Sure. Um, and not unreasonable, but fair also means fair for the player. 
And so when I'm looking at these contract structures that are out there right now, and I'm looking at real numbers and fake numbers and initially reported numbers versus real numbers, um, I'm looking at what I think Cooper will ultimately end up getting. And I think it's going to be around 20 million per year. He's at what, 18.5, 18.7 right now. And I think there's a upper echelon now that's been set and, and uh, you know, a tier of finance finances that's been set that's 20 million plus. And I do think that there's a sense that he should be in that. Um, I, I'm not speaking for anybody, obviously, but I think there's a mutual sense that he should be in that tier of receivers who are making 20 plus million a year, particularly after the season that he had. Um, and so that's that's my takeaway from from uh, what he said last week. That's my takeaway from um, what I've been hearing and reporting on for the last um, almost two months at this point. And again, that also doesn't preclude the Rams from exploring what else they can do in free agency. Um, they're going to need to set aside probably what eight, you know, snap probably like six or seven million to sign their draft picks. Fine, they know the framework for that. They know what the front load is going to be for both Aaron and Cooper's deal, or what they'd like it to be. Okay, so they know that. So yes, they can continue to explore what possibilities are available to them in free agency in the draft. The draft will also not affect this um, because of where they pick. You're not going to sit there and say, oh, they drafted a safety at 104. That means they can't possibly add a safety. Or, oh, they drafted a, a DN to, or a, an edge rusher at 104 or um, in the fourth round. Okay, that means they're not going to add there. That's not true. When you pick at the pick points that the Rams pick at, literally they part of the the leverage that they've turned it into over the years is continuing to allow themselves to stay flexible in in making those roster additions at any point. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I think that, you know, yes, I understand the angst and I also understand that things, um, you know, you hear different things or like random things will pop up and blow up on Twitter. Um, but at the same time, um, there is nothing Nothing really has changed in my sense of, uh, you know, the the sense of do not panic is essentially what I'm trying to convey here. Yes, always a good, uh, always a good advice there. But yeah, there, there's so much here that that point toward. Uh, and again, I, I totally get it too. This isn't you know dumping on anybody. You're saying, oh, why are you bringing this up? Why are you talking about it? Like obviously, people wanted to get done. These are two very important players, and and I'm sure there will be a big sense of relief uh, from Rams fans, and I'm sure there'll be a certain sense of relief from inside the organization uh, when when these deals get done too. But I I don't see or hear anything here that that would make me think there's any cause. For concern, I understand. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we went through this with Aaron Donald and the holdout and everything else. But that just had a totally different feel to it and a totally different uh, vibe around the whole thing. And and you you can read into certain things, right? You can you can listen to what people hear and kind of read between the lines. The things the things that you don't want to hear are things like. Oh, we're not having those discussions right now, or we're not talking right now. Right. Like if you start hearing that stuff, that's the problem. Uh, when when yeah. there's no communication going back and forth. Yeah, and Rich, just just to to add, it's a great point because if that has happened, if that if they come out and say no, this hasn't happened, it actually what that really means in terms of translating into executive and agent speak, what that really means is yes, we've had an initial conversation and everybody decided, fuck it, we're not yeah, doing this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, <laughs> that's, right. you know, either an initial, an initial offer is egregiously declined or you escalate very quickly into like a Debo Samuel situation. Like this, th the fact that 
discussions are ongoing means that things are much closer to happening and can happen very quickly once a few final steps and structures in place. And also, like, again, multiple things have to be true. The, the timeline, too. They're not going to do this, really. I, I I would be shocked if they were willing and ready to um, pull the trigger on, on Aaron's signature um, before the draft. It's just not how they do the, this stuff. Um, now, it could very well be as ready to go as it will ever be, but before the draft, it would be shocking to me um, or surprising just based on, you know, it's based on the, the logic here and the sense of, of what their timeline usually is, you know, we, and we could wake up Wednesday morning and, and it could be announced or, or whatever. But I just, I just get the sense that they're just, they're on their timeline. They're not going to budge the timeline. Um, it doesn't mean anything bad. It just means that things are continuing to unfold the way that they believed that they would and the way that they, um, have kept those conversations open. Right. And and if I could just reiterate one final thing that you said is, because I, I think it's very important, is, you know, just because these things aren't done or finalized or signed doesn't mean that there's there's not that, I, I think you use the word framework, which is probably the, the best way to, to say it. Um, so that's fine. It, you, there's, there's a lot of things that go on with these contracts, and especially with a team like the Rams, who would get so creative uh, with the things that they do with these contracts. You could be talking about you know, void years. You could be talking about certain bonuses. You could be, as you said, Jordan, front loading. How much are you going to front load? I mean, these, these are all things cash. that, yeah, cash. Also, cash. Mm-hmm. Hey, man. Hey, when are you comfortable getting a shitload of money in cash right. in, in accordance with your taxes? Like, just things, <laughs> seriously, yeah, because yeah. that's in California. I mean, think about it. Like, Big if deal. you get a, a mm-hmm. like, what, what time of year do you want this? massive inflow of actual cash that you will then have to account for next year on your taxes at this time. Like, when do you want that? That this, I mean, it's all, it all works together. <laughs> it does. And, and, and while that is all being worked out, that, that doesn't preclude, as you said, Jordan, that, that doesn't mean, oh my gosh, the Rams have no idea what this guy's cap hit is going to be, or they have no idea what's going to happen here. So they don't know if they can, uh, you know, I'm just making this up, but they don't know if they can resign Odell Beckham. Like these are things that happen, uh, as they go, it's not like you just, it's not like there's just a single point where they go, aha, here it is. Now we know. Now we're finally clear. Like these are, these are steps that you take along the way. Okay. This is our ballpark number. Okay. This is what all, all these things that we just talked about. Like they, you, you put the puzzle pieces together and eventually the puzzle's done and, and you sign it, uh, sign the contract. But along the way, you get an idea. You start yeah. to understand, oh, okay, this is the framework. This is our general number. This is pretty much how it's going to look. Okay. Yeah. Put the draft pick money in there. Okay, that's what we have left. So it, it's not, it's not, I guess what I'm saying is it's not precluding them necessarily from doing anything. It's not like they're handcuffing themselves right now by by not getting these deals done. If they, they don't get finalized until July, which is in, if you go back in recent history, it's a, when a lot of these deals have been announced by the Rams. Is, is when right coaching around. and GM extensions get announced. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so I, I guess all to say, like, don't. There's no need to panic if this goes on for another month or even two months. Maybe uh, it doesn't mean doesn't mean things are going wrong. It doesn't mean that there's anger. Doesn't mean that anybody's going to hold out. Um, it's it's a complicated process, and sometimes there's a lot to work through here. And these are two very important contracts that that they want to get right. You don't want to rush anything. You don't want to do anything, uh, you know, ahead of school or whatever. So uh, I, I understand. Again, I totally get it. I understand the the, the frustration or the, the angst that might be out there, uh, but I haven't seen anything to indicate that there's a reason uh, for concern here. 
Yeah, and I agree. Yeah. I agree with you. And I think too, Rams fans, like I've said before, Rams fans are really smart and they're really, I think, very well educated in terms of uh, how the team works and how yeah. um, that that the ecosystem is balanced. And and I think first of all, that's fantastic, and it also leads to to getting really good questions about these things. Um, so again, when Rich and I talk about this, it's not like we're saying don't ask us these questions. It's just that we're trying to answer a large mass of them all at one time uh, for the sake of efficiency. And I also think that um, I will note, too, that one question I get a lot is about Odell Beckham. And I do think that the Rams are still very confident that they will be able to sign him. As I've reported for months now, um, I believe that the option on the table for him from the Rams is a multi-year deal. Um, I also believe that uh, the first part of that deal is has a lot of incentives contingent upon his recovery process. Expect him to be back and ready to go sometime in November. Obviously, it is his right as a player. It's his agent's right as an agent to go and shop that around and see if there's something else out there that's a better fit for him, particularly as the, the Rams offseason unfolds. If he thinks that he is a better fit somewhere else, totally respect that. Um, but as far as I am aware, um, the characterization of this is kind of like, okay, the ball is in his court. Uh, this is what we can offer. This is what we're able to offer. Um, I also am of the impression that there's kind of a lot of flexibility with that second part, that second year on the deal. So the front, the front year will probably be a lot stricter based on where they're at with their cap and the rest of their personnel. But the second year on that deal, I think, has some wiggle room in terms of the amount, the guaranteed money, the types of things that can then be uh, finalized in that regard. And so, again, these things are complicated. And I think it's really fair to to for him to wait and see and hit some milestones personally in his recovery and see where he's at and what kind of deal he could fairly uh, go and get. Like, if he wants something with more guaranteed money on the front end, that's very fair. Again, these players put themselves through hell. And so I think that just when I when I'm asked um, pretty much after every tweet, like if there's an update on OBJ, um, there is no update really because I, I reported that months ago and there's that's what it is. Like it's not like there's any some some new variable has entered the equation. Like th- this is an ongoing situation that is um, it will work it will work out on its own time and and it's you know I know that's probably frustrating because he just made his presence so felt and was so beloved by everybody in the organization in the locker room. And like, he was great with media and I would personally love to cover him for a couple more years. Um, but at the same time, like the, these things will unfold the way that they will. And there's a big injury recovery that is, um, you know, has to happen before these, these things really kind of get signed and, and officialized. Um, obviously I do think he, he will open, I think he will open the fall, uh, with the team. Um, I think the Rams are confident that it will be them. I think that you also really want to be in whichever building recovering and continuing to be a part of the team. I I think you want to be in whichever building you're going to be in um, during that part of your recovery. Now, again, the player personally could make a different decision. That's just what I feel would be the the soundest uh, logic moving forward. And and you you do have, I think, with the Rams, you do have some advantages there as well, um, understanding sort of the closeness of that group and um, some of the the technology and recovery and rehab stuff that the Rams are doing with, with Reggie Scott and Byron Cunningham. So I think that that factors into the decision as well. Um, but again, we'll have to see. And this is just one of those things where it's not that Things have gone dark or quiet or things have backslid. It's just that there's not 
it's there's nothing there's no fresh news and and I'm not really the type to keep sort of regurgitating things but I do want to make sure that people's questions are answered um and and keep asking them because Rams fans as I've said before and Rich has said before you guys do ask phenomenal questions um I'm very appreciative of that and so want to try to just reiterate these things um and you know we don't we're not talking about uh first or second round picks so we have more time I guess to reiterate yes in this pod, in this particular podcast episode, which we planned on being mostly about the draft, uh, again yeah. has sort of veered into the ethos of the Rams team build itself and become more about uh, veterans and free agents. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how it goes, right? But yeah, I mean, it, but it's all fascinating stuff. And Jordan, I don't, I'm not trying to brag on anybody, but I mean, Rams fans, very lucky to have you there to to explain all of this and to uh, give those updates as as they come along. So I think it's a very well reasoned analysis, and uh, you know, we we love the interest. Uh, just you don't need to panic right now. There's there's a lot of time, and uh, nothing that's happening right now or not happening right now. Maybe a better way to say it is uh, you know anything that's, that's scary or precludes them from doing anything else. Uh, it's just going to take some time, and I know we'll talk. We'll keep talking about that on future podcast episodes. We might even have a guest or two who might be able to lead uh, lend some insight into some of the stuff that uh, that we're talking about here. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Rams, we assume, add a few players in the draft as things stand right now. They will go into the draft with eight picks. 
most of them are compensatory picks. Uh, almost all of them are after the third round. Uh, but uh, Jordan, this is where it gets really interesting, right? And I know you you tried to dive into a, to a mock draft, and and these things are so difficult to do. They are so much fun. I did one. Uh, to last year or two years ago before you before you came on board. And man, did I put a lot of time into that. And of course, I didn't get any of them right. Not even close, not even close on any of them. But it is a lot of fun to, to dig into these things and see um, what they might do uh, at some positions. The one thing that strikes me, Jordan, and I want to get your general thoughts too, is you know, you, you can look at it and say, like, I'm even sitting here and saying, what are the positions that I'm looking at? Okay, maybe I'm looking at cornerback. Maybe I'm looking at the offensive line. Maybe I'm looking at edge rusher. Uh, but when you get down to those third, fourth, fifth round picks, you can't really target positions. Um, and and that's that's kind of the, the, the problem with, with this thing. It's not like, I know how much you love fantasy football, Jordan. And I think that's been well documented. But, but sometimes, you know, when I start a fantasy football draft, I can kind of have a rough strategy, right? Like I can say, okay, I want to go in. My first two picks are going to be running backs and I'm going to wait. Quarterbacks are going to go early. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to draft a quarterback in the fifth and sixth round and I'm going to get some, I'm going to get a couple steals there. Like I, so I have a, tar, like I have a strategy for my draft, right? Like I'm going to go this position and then I'm going to see what's out there. I might take a receiver, I might take another run, I might take a third running back. Like the, 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 unfortunately, it's not the way that things are done in the, in the NFL draft. They can't sit there and go, okay, this is our, this is what we're going to do in the third round. This is what we're going to do in the fourth round. You know, so much of it is who is there, who drops, uh, who's there unexpectedly. I mean, even looking at some of these other mock drafts that are out there, I glanced at a couple that are around NFL.com always does a good one. Uh, CBS has one. Of course, our Dane Brugler puts together his seven round mock draft that is just extraordinary. Uh, but even within that, you see, you know, Dane has uh, the Rams taking Brian Robinson running back out of Alabama in the fifth round, which I think is a pretty reasonable uh, guess uh, based on fit and, and based on position. But then you look at other mock drafts and there's and there's Robinson going in the third round. So it's it, when you get to that point, there's really no way to predict. You can have these wild swings and you could have somebody sitting there who you didn't expect to be there or you could have a huge run on positions uh, that that you didn't expect to happen. But Jordan, as we go into it, I mean, what are what are you thinking? Are am I correct in in saying that if you had to look at some positions that you look at cornerback, that you look at edge rusher, that you look at the offensive line? Are, are, is that a reasonable assumption? Or given what we know about the Rams uh, team build, are they looking maybe in other directions? Yeah, and I think I think those are all good. I think um, you might even be looking at tight end. Uh, I think because you're drafting in that position, you're drafting for the future, and you had some really promising potential from Kendall Blanton and Bryson Hopkins. But again, you know, you still have those guys still have to come into camp and continue to improve, right? So I think you uh, you also want to be sure that, especially losing Johnny Munt, um, who was you know. I watched him every day in camp and he was building into a much more high volume pass catching role when he wasn't when he was in training camp. Um, 
And, you know, that is something that I think, and especially, you know, Tyler Higby, he's had some injuries here late in, late in the last couple of years that he's played through and you're looking at the future there. And so I think, um, you know, there's, this is a really good tight ends class from what I understand. <laughs> um, and I think there are some really promising and not just like promising guys who, you know, played well in college, but like they have the frame that Sean McVay likes, uh, in a tight end. They've got sort of the versatility and particularly the separation and the route running ability that Sean McVay specifically likes in a tight end. A couple of guys very aggressive at the catch point, which I think he really also appreciates in a tight end. Um, you saw that sort of separate Kendall Blanton from the pack, I think. Um, those are traits that they certainly looked at in him as well um, when they were signing in him to their college free agent class. And I also think that you're, you're looking, you're always with this group, you are always looking at safeties. Um, the safety position for this team, I've been trying to come up with a metaphor after two and a half years, two years, and I haven't found the perfect one, but it basically is like, it's the master key for this entire roster. And it's partially because it's a position that they don't invest financially in. And and I will say, like, even if they do go out and sign, you know, a, a free agent safety or a veteran safety through the this la- la- sort of last leg of free agency after the draft, that front end of that deal will still not represent a shift in their team build model. As you saw with Bobby Wagner, everyone sort of was like, you know, this, oh, it's a it's a shift in in their formula and, and everything. And you look at the cap hit and it's two million, two and a half million. Um, that's, that's about as much money that, uh, you know, a rookie, uh, second round inside linebacker, third round inside linebacker is going to make too. So, you know, that's not a, it doesn't, it, yes, it's a shift in that that was a veteran that they were going out and getting when they normally let those guys walk, um, at, at that position inside linebacker safety as well. Um, so yes, it is a shift in terms of the, the person you're himself that you're bringing in and the position that you're actually bringing in instead of letting depart, but financially, is what we're saying here. It doesn't represent a pattern shift because these are still two positions and safety I'm looking at, especially in this draft class where you could probably find a couple of mid to later round safeties who could not only compete quickly, but would definitely mean that you're making up for a couple guys you lost, um, Juju Hughes and, and Kareem, uh, excuse me, uh, J.R. Reed, um, that you're, you've lost in, uh, to other teams that have kind of poached these guys and signed them to futures contracts, like right out from under them. And Raheem Morris even bringing up sort of his, his, uh, he was joking, but there was a little bit of ire underneath where it's like, yeah, and we lost Juju Hughes, and that was someone who the Rams really, really liked, and he got signed away from them. <laughs> and and so that was something where I, I I sort of note that, and I'm like, all right, well, you got to find another one of those guys, you know, a guy who can also play on special teams because, again, you've got Bobby Wagner and Ernest Jones. They are not going to be playing on special teams at inside linebacker where you can sort of pad your numbers there. Then you've got Nick Scott, who I expect to be taking on a much more prominent role alongside Jordan Fuller next season. He's not going to play as much special teams as as he was one of the cornerstone pieces for their special teams unit. And then you've got a lot of uh, guys who are coming off of injury. You've got So this is where you need to sort of pad your numbers, um, whether it's in the later rounds, mid to later rounds of the draft, 
draft or in free agency because yes, you have your starters. Um, you know, you have you have a, a great group to choose from in terms of your starting rotation in general between Jordan Fuller, Nick Scott, Taylor Rapp, and Terrell Burgess. I think you've got so, a lot of promise there, but at the same time, you know, only three, two, two or three of those guys are going to play special teams for you. And you need, you know, four to play special teams. You need two more linebackers to play special teams for you. So I think safety in particular. Um, and then I also think that, um, inside linebacker late in the draft, they also kind of look, look at that as well. Um, but I basically, I don't rule anything out for these guys, generally speaking, but I think when you look at some of the traits and the particulars per, position, that's where you can start to to make your rulings. Um, and, and it's going to be interesting. You know, this is a good class for edge rushers. It's a good class for corners, good class for, again, those safeties, particularly in that, you know, fourth, fifth, and sixth round. Um, good class of late, late round inside linebackers. It's a great special teams class, Rich. Uh, definitely have them bringing in at least one more punter uh, to compete with Riley Dixon, whether it's in the draft or in free college free agency, you can't rule anything out with these guys. And I think that's what, that's what makes them so interesting this time of year, coupled with the fact that they very intentionally, intentionally and uh, by agreement uh, do not leak their 30 visits because again, they're not present at the all-star events because they're, uh, they've, they've overhauled the way that they think. They want to avoid the group think. Um, you can go if you want, but if, if you'd rather get the, the hard data and the numbers sent to you and then watch the film and match it with the tape that they do internally, um, then you can do it that way. And so the 30 visits they keep notoriously, like I've had texts from other personnel people from across the league asking me about the Rams and, and whether, and like who they're bringing in and, and, and it's a, and sort of this, uh, it comes with a chuckle too. the, usually the text, those texts come with the chuckle because they know that they, there's, there's an agreement there. And so when you do see leaks, which you do every once in a while, you know, last week, uh, James Cook got leaked, uh, and then, um, the punter from Nevada, one of the punters from Nevada who was working out, um, for the Rams got leaked as well. And that is super, super rare. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, I would say, to see any of that, uh, leaked this time of year because of the way that the Rams do go about their aggressiveness in, in that process. And so, um, you know, the, everything, everything obviously you see this week and, and last week and even the week before that, you take with a grain of salt, but it is between, very few leaks in general, and also, uh, you know, people from other personnel departments like trying to figure out what the Rams might be doing because, and, and again, kind of tongue in cheek because it just never comes out. I think that it's a it's a very very interesting strategy. It's an interesting time of year, and and you really they are very unpredictable in what they might do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hear me out here, Jordan. Uh, eight punters. How about that? Just just draft eight eight, eight draft yeah. picks. That's your yeah yeah eight yeah. That's punters. your. That's your overcorrection to yeah. the, the Sloman situation, I think. Yeah. And you know what, though? Like, they really got it together. They really got it together on special teams in the, like, middle to late right. latter third of last year. And so I'm very interested in seeing what they will do next. Brought back Brandon Powell, obviously. The problem with Brandon Powell is I don't necessarily see a spot where he also fits in at receiver, which, again, when you're talking about 
bringing OBJ back and having him active, you know, by maybe November, December, that's going to fudge your numbers a little bit um, because you're still, excuse me, you're still waiting on uh, what you have from Jacob Harris, who was hurt. There's still no cohesive or apparent plan for Tutu Atwell. Um, so you're really looking at some of these numbers and, and you want your kick returner, your punt returner, when you have such a top heavy receivers room that the Rams do with Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson and Van Jefferson, um, you really want to make sure that you can win a number elsewhere on your active roster. And usually you would think that it would be your kick or punt returner would either be your reserve running back or one of your receivers, like your, your WR four or five, right? Um, but in this case, uh, we haven't seen Brandon Powell work a lot with the offense. We know that Matthew Stafford loves the guy, um, but and and there was a really cool clip of Brandon Powell late in the uh, the Super Bowl coming up to Matthew Stafford and and saying to him, you know, I want to win this game for you. I want to, you know, I want to help you get this done. Put me in, like I want to do this for you. And I thought that was really freaking cool. And and so I wonder if you see his role increase a little bit, but you also have to find a place for for Tutu, Tutu Atwell. You have to figure out what Jacob Harris can do for you, which I think we saw a lot of potential there early in the year from Jacob Harris before the injury. So it it, it is going to be interesting to see how those numbers all work out with special teams. And I think you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot more autonomy now that he's established with the group and has a group of of guys who were in for one year and are going to be coming back for a second year with Jody Camillus, there's a lot of buy-in there. And so I think that part is going to be really, really interesting. And, and I do think, you know, we have to absolutely factor in this team, maybe taking a punter in the draft itself. Now, I don't think it's going to be a third or fourth round pick that they do that. And I think that probably rules out the punt god, uh, I mean, you never know. Again, you never know. They could think that he's like the right fit for them for the next 10 years and then they pick him up. But they also could think that they could get Jordan Stout in the seventh round and he would also be an eight year punter for them or a seven year punter. So right. you just you just never know. And they're working out a lot of guys are doing a ton of due diligence. Um, so there is going to be a punting competition, but it is a stacked punter class, Rich. Oh. And I, I, I love saying that it's a stacked punter class this they'll, year. They'll be talking about it for decades. I, I'm, I'm, I'm certain of it. Um, but yeah, that, that, that is important. And uh, so many factors, especially when you're talking about all these picks that the Rams have in the later part of the draft and special teams is such a big part of it. And yeah, Jordan, in your mock draft that you did fairly recently, uh, you did have the Rams taking a safety uh, and an, an inside linebacker in the fifth and sixth rounds. And and actually our, our Dane Brugler was uh, pretty close to that too. He had the Rams uh, taking a linebacker in the sixth round and then a safety in the in the seventh round. Interesting pick there was actually uh, Bubba Bolden who uh, started out at USC and then, and then went on to Miami. So again, seventh rounders, you never know what's going to happen there, but that was a name that jumped out at me just because I, uh, I recognized it from his, from his time here. But uh, so, uh, you know, a lot can, can happen there and, and really important, as you said, to look at that positional depth and what you're bringing in and how it impacts the others um, on that group. So uh, Jordan, one question I had and I, and I truly honestly am not stirring the pot here and I don't even have a, a point we'll that see. I, yeah <laughs> I, I really don't have a point that I'm trying to make with it but it's just you, you know how fascinated I always am with the offensive line and uh, and I have resolved my my New year's resolution was to, to not question anything that the Rams do on the offensive line so I will not do that but my question to you Jordan is do, do you think there's anything that we can learn here? about the Rams and, and their offensive line based on how they handle 
this year's draft, whether they use a lot of capital, whether they don't use any capital. For instance, in your mock draft, you only had them taking uh, one offensive lineman, and that was the the 238 pick, the seventh round pick, um, which would indicate uh, to me either that they don't like what's out there or they they have other positional uh, needs. So I I guess I'm I'm just kind of throwing it out there generally to you. Is that do do you think we could learn anything uh, about that group based on what they either do bring in or don't bring in this week? Well, I think you should always take a lineman, at least one. (laughs) Um, I think they, I won't say they lucked out because this again was very intentional in their evaluation and scouting of him, but they uh, hit a a plus uh, when they brought in Alaric Jackson in college free agency. I think that uh, once we saw him in action, that really went a long way in terms of the head scratching of the why didn't they take any linemen in the draft in a very strong interior offensive lineman class? And that's not to say that they didn't want to. Like, I know for a fact that some of those guys were on their board. It's just sometimes the way that things shake out and then all of a sudden, you know, you look up and you're in the seventh round and there's nobody on your board because, you know, just the way the board's fallen. So um, it's it's very interesting. I think, like, to me, the way that I kind of look at it is this – there were a lot of really cool studies done. Um, Brandon Thorne, who does Trench Warfare, you guys should read all of his work. He's incredible. Um, he and a couple of other people were were talking during the Super Bowl about some of the playoff teams and the draft capital that went into building some of these offensive lines versus some of the financial capital. And the results were really interesting in that it, it was sort of a – single year data set and that I think that people will continue to be curious about and build off of, of not necessarily needing a first round pick investment across the entire line in order to build a strong and playoff caliber offensive line. And I think that that's where you see the Rams start to experiment a little bit because they know that they've got a scheme that is friendly to offensive linemen. They know that they've got coaching that is friendly to offensive linemen and um, also other players that are friendly to offensive linemen in terms of the blocking that they are able to do, some of the chipping that they are able to do and and how they design things. And I think that that is uh, very sort of under the radar data set that they're building is how how can we turn this how can we be more intentional with the types of investments we're making whether financial or via the draft along our offensive line and where to sort of pull the trigger on certain investments versus where to sit back and i think that that's sort of being quietly built behind the scenes right now and evaluated and studied and Where I think it becomes very interesting is I sort of look at it now as, yes, I think the baseline is you always want to be adding talented developmental offensive linemen. And if you have an opportunity to bring in a high-profile, high-caliber offensive lineman, such as an Andrew Whitworth, who only comes along every once in a blue moon, um, and then we'll play to the next one, as it turns out, and um, and like a a Rob Havenstein that they they got in the second round, who's played for them since, um, you know, a guy, you know, guys who um, you do spend that high capital on, but infrequently so, but then you do make that move urgently when you can. Um, And then elsewhere, I think I, I sort of, I sort of look at that balance of when they do bring in 
an offensive lineman, whoever it is, is now not competing with David Edwards, not competing with Rob Havenstein, not competing even with Alaric Jackson in some in some ways, because I think he has he is their backup left tackle. Um, not competing necessarily with Brian Allen. Um, but but is competing with the second and third string of developmental guys who could ultimately slide in um in the future. And so to me, it's like, okay, you're gonna draft a tackle. It's not can he be your next Rob Havenstein? Because again, I think that becomes an intentional investment at specific positions along the offensive line. Um, it's not necessarily, can he be your next Rob Havenstein? And if he can, great. You vastly, vastly outperformed the value of the pick. But it's, can he edge out Bobby Evans in competition for the, you know, tackle three spot or the tackle four spot? And and so that's where I think that's where the equation does come in. And so I, I think that, uh, yes, you do need to add in this phase, but specifically with the intention of, understanding this guy is not going to come in and start for you this year, maybe not even next year. And I think you're seeing this with Tremaine Ingram, who now will be competing with that for that guard spot, uh, competing with Coleman Shelton um, and Bobby Evans, I think, for for a guard spot. Although I think Bobby Evans is more of a tackle, but I digress. Um, so that's what you're looking at now is is not when he'll compete for a vacancy next year or even in the current year, but when when will this player compete for a vacancy? And do we think that his potential outweighs that of what we have now in a Bobby Evans, uh, what we have now in a Coleman Shelton, you know, Coleman Shelton, although I do think Coleman Shelton has a really good shot at being that, that starting guard. But I think like that's what that's the equation. And so, um, yes, I think Again, I'll reiterate, yes, every year pick up linemen, <laughs> offensive, defensive. I don't have any in my sort of uh, like it's not really a big board. It's just mid-round prospects who I think would be fits. I don't have D linemen matched to them. Um, that doesn't mean I don't think they should take one. Always, every time, safeties, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, this group, like and they'll probably always, you know, bring in, a, you know, a tight end every other year or something. Right. And I think like that's that's the, just this group. They're always looking at running backs, probably because they're probably never going to pay one uh, ever again. And so I think that that's that's also what you're looking at. Um, and Rich, I do want to dig in real quick, too, um, because I just said running backs. And of course, like the little signal in the back of my brain starts going haywire. I think like we do need to talk about sort of th- what what these running backs and who they pick at running back versus what they have or have not done so far in free agency and what that kind of means in terms of the traits they might be looking at moving forward. But Because I think that when you combine who they have now, Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, um, you know, Xavier Jones is coming back from an Achilles tear. Um, Jake Funk is coming back from a, a hamstring tear and I think will largely play that special teams role that he really – started to emerge, his potential really started to show later in the season after he came back from the injury on special teams. Um, you you also haven't re-signed Sony Michelle, who became a very necessary heartbeat for you. Uh, you don't necessarily have a goal line back, I would say. Uh, Cam Akers, of course, I think could do it, but between the injury history and some of the ball security issues, um, I think you still want to make sure that you have that goal line 
power back presence. I think you want to continue to be as multiple as possible in the run game. And I think when you look at some of the influences that Rashad Samples will bring in, like I think you're looking at college players who are completely that dual threat, versatile pass catching back who can also get downhill after, you know, he gets in space, you know, takes a couple steps and then gets downhill after catching a pass or um, somebody who can really sort of break tackles and be explosive. That's sort of, you know, Alvin Kamara, like uh, very, very into the, you know, that sort of offense and the the spread out wide uh, offense that a lot of these college teams run. Um, but I also think that you need to, you need to look into that sort of heartbeat presence. I think you have to search for that complementary ability because Sean McVay, like we know he wants to throw the ball to running backs more. Um, we know that we saw that happening last year. It became actually crucial in the Super Bowl, uh, out of necessity more than anything else, but became absolutely crucial. We know they're going to continue to run those empty sets. We know they're going to do all these types of things. But at the same time, you, Sean McVay, if there is one thing we do know about him as well, is that he's going to want to stay as multiple as he possibly can, even if being multiple isn't like the flashy, exciting type of running back and more so the methodical and very sort of uh, two two yards in a cloud of dust kind of guy that Sony Michelle is guy who always falls forward and takes a couple players with him, a guy who just like will take you know twenty five thirty carries in a game and maybe average you know three point seven four yards per carry and that's that's what you need from him. Um, and they haven't brought back Sony yet. I don't know if I don't know if they will. I'm sure uh, I'm sure they they have continue to have a great relationship, but I don't know because they don't pay running backs. And so I think like you're looking where James Cook, that's very exciting in terms of that pass catching back. And and you're really looking at um, the skill set that he brings. But I think you also are looking at one of his teammates and I mocked him to the Rams um, in my mock draft in the fourth round is Zamir, Zamir White, who is a little bit more of that powerful um, powerful back that gives them a changeup, that gives them a goal line presence to be accounted for. Um, and I'm just curious to your thoughts on that, Rich, because between the, uh, what we just talked about with the offensive line and then how it ties into the run game, um, I think those are two positions that you can tell sort of the way that they will continue to move their offense depending on who they pick. Yeah, and I think kind of in this, uh, I guess you might call it the post-Todd Gurley era, um, to where the the Ram, and I don't mean this as a criticism at all, but it, they, they've evolved away from kind of the, here's our one workhorse guy who's going to do it all for for us into this kind of where, where it's looking at the position as a group. And we have some guys who are going to excel at this and some guys who are going to excel at that. We have Daryl Henderson who can, you know, get out into space and catch the ball. We have Sonny Michelle who's going to be the banger when we need those, we need that third and one picked up. We have Cam Akers who can do a little bit of everything. Um, so it, it really is kind of a puzzle piece that I, I think you have to put together there and you're constantly looking at, okay, do we have this uh, skill? Do we have this uh, certain thing filled? And the other thing that you have to look at, Unfortunately, and, and I don't, I feel b- even bad about saying this because I, I feel like I say it a lot, is you also have to keep in mind that there's an injury history with these guys and with Cam Akers and, and with Daryl Henderson. So uh, you almost have to, when you look at that, that position, uh, running back, you, you can't even just look at the lead guy. You have to look at and say, okay, we're, we're going to build this offense in a certain way, but if Daryl Henderson's, uh, you know, 
hurts his hamstring in, in week one, then what do we do? Uh, do? Do we have somebody who, who can replicate some of those skills or are we going to have to change a lot? So I, I think all of that factors in. Uh, you, 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 there, are, there is a lot of complementary uh, play going on here, complementary skills, at least uh, um, among these running backs. So I, I think a lot of it is uh, seeing what fits. And it is interesting that they that they at least haven't yet uh, brought back Sony Michelle. So what does that tell us? Does that tell us they're looking for somebody who fits like him uh, in the draft? Or are they thinking that they don't need that anymore because they've seen Cam Akers and they feel like he can uh, fill that that type of skill set? I'm not sure. These are questions that, that I don't know. But uh, again, I think there's a lot more that goes into that position now or maybe then there is on other teams where you say, okay, this is our guy. This is Derrick Henry. This is whoever it may be. Like this is our this is our running back, and and this is who everything is going to run through. Uh, Rams a little bit of a different approach because, as you said, Jordan, they're not going to pay big money anymore for for a specific player, and that's the right way to go, and it 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 should be. And uh, so it just complicates things a little bit more and probably it changes, changes their approach in the draft and uh, their approach to, to which guys they bring in. So I, I would expect them to, to draft a running back. Uh, it'll just be the, the interesting thing to me will be what kind of skill set that person has and how it complements uh, the, the other guys who are already in the room. Yeah, exactly. I think that's well put, Rich. And and I think that, you know, y- I could see scenarios where that's 104. Sure, I could see that. Um, there are some really outstanding running backs in this draft. And I think as long as your model is somewhat dependent on the offensive side on bringing in really uh, younger guys who are going to contribute early on those uh, initial contracts, I think that's probably fine. You can sort of see the vision there um, in that regard. You are adding to a room that does have a need at that point as well. So you're sort of – if a guy they really like, and I would assume they have several – who they hope are either at 104 or that they know they would pick if they fell to 104, um, that that would be something that I could certainly see happening. Um, I want to before we go, I want to ask you. So you're looking as you look at the the layout of where these picks are, yeah. um, and some of them are interestingly like clustered together. And so I want I'm, <laughs> I want to ask you if you had your choice. So we I would assume yes. Because I don't think that Les Snead is satisfied with only having eight picks. Like, I think mm. he wants, like, maybe 10 yeah. <laughs> or t- or maybe even 12. I don't know. But, like, was, I can't see him sitting at, at eight picks. In fact, um, last year when I was covering the draft, um, the draft the draft that I had saved in my phone, the, the only draft that I had saved in my tweets uh, was the phrase, Les Snead is trading, because I knew I would need to use it. <laughs> use it quickly, pull it up very quickly, right. you know, if that were the case. So um, I think that there will be some trades. I really don't see them trading up. There are a couple of bundles where you maybe could, yeah. um, but I really see them more often trading back. Uh, it's just kind of their style and how they continue to, to sort of increase the value of some of those guys. And I wanted to know, Rich, um, where would you trade back and specifically, or if you trade up, that's fine too, but where would you trade? Which which pick point here, if you're looking at some of these clusters, or even at 104, where would you trade? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think you you probably yeah. I would not trade 104. I, I would want to hold on to that. I would I would not trade up. 
um, unless it's a situation where there's a guy there who you're like, we're, we love this guy. He's our, he's our top pick at that position at this point. And, you know, if we need to give up something to move up five spots, then we're going to do that. That's the case. Okay. But I, I, I don't see any dramatic moves. I don't see any move into the second round or, or even into the top of the third round or anything like that. Um, I, I think you, maybe you look at, um, I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe, maybe the, maybe the fifth round, um, or, or maybe even the fourth round. I, the, the thing that I, I feel about those picks is at, at some point they almost become like lottery tickets, you know, and, and I think the, the more lottery tickets that you can hold, uh, the better, you know, you, you, you might hit on them. So right now you're looking at it and say fifth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, the Rams have uh, six picks there. So if, if you can trade back there and, and turn that instead of six picks, maybe you have eight, maybe you have nine. Uh, it's just more lottery tickets. It's it's more players who can come in and, and maybe you hit on on one of those guys uh, because you've really done your homework on some of those positions and some of those players. So I don't know whether I definitely don't see them dropping out of the third round. I, I don't really see them moving out of that fourth round spot either. I think I'd be a little surprised if that happened. So uh, maybe I look at that at that fifth round pick and 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 maybe dropping a little bit and and you know moving back into the sixth round. I don't I also don't know whether I see them holding on to 211 and 212 uh which which is interesting. So I don't know whether those end up being packaged um and and things get moved around. I don't know. Less needs going to do something very creative here. Jordan, the question I was going to ask you, okay? is just a fun game here. Rams have eight picks right now. When you are writing your recap at the end of the draft, how many draft picks will they have made? 11. Ooh. Yeah. I think 11, uh, it's not a nice round number, but I do think, I think, I don't know why, I'm just, it's just the in, my instant reaction, right? I, listen, I would probably not criticize a ton of what they did at 104 just because um you just I, I try not to be like too hot takey about picks before they've even set foot in the door essentially I mean even with Tutu yes that was a head scratcher last year but at the same time you could also because they didn't have Deshaun Jackson on the roster yet and because they had a lot of receivers who did the same types of things like yeah at the time before we saw what this offense was going to look like like I could kind of understand you, he just did something very different. Uh, you know, maybe they thought he was good. He wasn't going to last longer. Um, so sure. Okay, fine. But, but so I don't, you know, I, in the moment I try not to be too critical. Someone would have to make an extremely convincing argument to me, um, about trading out of one Oh four. Like someone would have to really work hard to convince me that that would be the right thing to do. And, and I don't just say that because, um, Trading back, yeah, I get trading back is a is a great call usually for teams who especially are trying to increase the dart throws. That's a big part of what the Rams do. Um, and also, I I definitely understand that once you get to that pick, you will have a lot of people who are sitting maybe in the middle of the fourth round who want to come up into the early part of the fourth round because they want their pick of the final set of prospects on that day three. Um, that is also true. That's something I very much understand. But that 104, I mean, that guy you you have seen. If you pick the right player, that guy that guy starts for you. And I think if you have a draft class of players where you might find another Jordan Fuller in the sixth round, you also probability says you probably won't. Um, but 
also you you'll find guys who will come in two years, three years, be able to contribute, you know, but, or a Greg Gaines or, you know what you, you, it's, it's, it's very hard to find with these picks guys who can come in and start right away. Um, Jordan Fuller at one point said that he didn't even know if he would make the final roster um, once they started spring workouts. Obviously, you, we laugh at that now because we're sitting there and we're like, this dude's amazing. Of course, you know, he's, he's incredible. But at this, at the time, you know, it's very, very different. Things play out very, very differently. Ultimately, when they drafted Ernest Jones, they knew, they knew from the second they picked him and, and saw that he was available, that he is someone who would probably be starting for them by the end of his first season. And he was. And so if you have multiple players like that, which one is Ernest Jones to you? Who is the complete package to you mentally, physically, uh, football IQ off the charts, just spatially in a cluster of picks? If you have a cluster of picks there and logic would normally tell you, hey, I could trade back and one of these guys who I like um, will probably still be there if I do trade back. Um, but then you might miss out on Ernest Jones. And I think that it, it's it's interesting to me, um, you know, that's that's when you find the guy who gets your heart racing the way that Ernest Jones got like Les Snead, Raheem Morris, like those guys heart racing in that regard and and go for it. So you'd have to really, when you don't have a draft class of, of guys who are going to come in and, and start for you right away, like you would if you maybe had multiple first round picks or multiple second round picks, if you know you don't have that draft class, but you also know that with one of these picks – you have a proven data set that tells you that this pick could start for you at the end of the third round. This pick could start for you either day one or, you know, day 74. Then I think that's that's a leverage point. I think that is an advantage. That's a plus two or plus three if you're looking at sort of how these things all balance out. Now, I also think that they're going to trade the hell out of one of these six rounders. <laughs> like, I, you, I, I don't I don't see they're because they so they pick at 211 212 and 218 um so that's a really sort of interesting cluster to be in because you don't necessarily have to trade back just a couple of spots because then you bump right up on 218 as well you could actually package that one one of those and i think it would probably would be like 212 you probably package 2 212 or 211 into uh something a little bit more creative um and and i think that you especially if you have a bunch of guys sort of around that pick point, um, then that's when you can sort of trade back and, and get more creative and, and maybe get, you know, uh, all three of the guys you wanted with those picks while also adding one or two more picks in the seventh round that justify you picking your punter. <laughs> so, <laughs> it all yeah. comes back to the punter, you like doesn't that, it? You yeah. like that at the end. Yeah, yeah, the, the hinge guy in this draft is going to be whichever punter they take now. But the, um, the whole strategy is built around how do we get to the punter in the seventh round? That's that's really what it is. But that uh, that's where I kind of see, if I'm looking at these clusters, I definitely, that's where I see like 211 or 212 being pretty uh, yeah. popular trade points. And then also people are going to be wanting to – you maybe get their guy who they don't think will last through the part that part of the seventh round um, when right, you're sort of right. making your your sort of last stand dart throws as a, as a team. So right. um, you know you have guys who are on the fringe of of a known uh, a known want versus a total dart throw once you get into the seventh. So I think that that's um, I think that that's going to be kind of the, the cluster point. 
Very interesting. All right, Jordan's on record with 11 picks. That would be, I just, I was just glancing quickly. There is a precedent. They drafted 11 in 2018, uh, and they also drafted 11 in 2014 before this current uh, group was was together, obviously. Nine the last couple of years. That does feel low to me. Um, I'm going to settle on 10 just because uh, I'm taking the easy way out. And, and I, don't, <laughs> I don't think they get quite to uh, to 11. But uh, yeah, there, there's going to be something interesting happening there with those 211, 212, 218. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but but I'd be pretty surprised. Actually, I'd be pretty surprised if they made more than one of those picks. Um, so what that means exactly, I'm, I'm not totally sure. But uh, it's always going to be fun. Oh, my goodness. I have a couple of years. Uh, they, 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 they traded a pick, and then they traded back for the same pick. Uh, I think it was like the, the keep to leave uh, situation, one of those. And it was like, wait a minute, they had this pick and now they have it again. So um, <laughs> there's always a lot of uh, fun that, that goes on. Um, can't wait to see uh, what happens here. And uh, of course, Jordan will be all over it. Um, if you need her Thursday through the weekend, um, hopefully the weather will be nice. I think it's supposed to be nice. You can enjoy the draft house. Um and but we know you'll be hard at work too, Jordan. It's not all fun and games. It's not all fun and games at the draft. But uh, Rams fans, you've got all you need at the Athletic. Jordan has you covered with everything that the Rams are thinking, everything they're going to do. We have such a wide variety of coverage out there: uh, mock drafts, top three hundreds, position analysis. Everything is there. I know I'm probably being annoying by telling you all of this, but it really is all you need to know. Um, so please, if you haven't already subscribed, thank you to those who have. But if you're not on board yet, there couldn't be a better time than right now. Get all your draft coverage from Jordan and across the league. You can do that the best way, the easiest way, the most fun way is to go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel. And you can get Jordan's favorite thing in the entire world, which is what? A great discount. Still? 11 draft. No. <laughs> <laughs> A great discount. You guys, it's still, I mean, man, it's still going. I'm, I'm, uh, I think we're being had here, Rich, because this discount thing is still going. Anytime you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world, which is a great discount. You guys, uh, this is going to be a lot of fun this week. And next week, Rich and I are going to open up a live room uh, the oh, week yeah. after the draft. So you guys can come in, air your grievances if you have them, give us your analysis if you have that. And as always, know we're going to get a lot of smart questions from you. Um, we're looking to do that early in the week following the draft pending uh, any craziness. Although if I jump in a live room, maybe that is the universal yes. uh, catalyst point for then something else to happen as it has been in the past. So we'll, we'll sort of see how that goes. Um, <laughs> but thank you guys so much for following along. This is going to be a blast. Um, I'll uh, be more diligent about sharing uh, pictures and video from the draft house. I hear the internet is going to be great. Um, and as always, follow me on Twitter at Jordan Rodriguez and follow Rich Hammond at Rich underscore Hammond. We look forward to hearing your voices next week. And as always, we really appreciate you tuning in. 